Hey, murder lovers. My name is Mackenzie. This is Fatina. And you're listening to Stranger Danger, a true crime podcast. Welcome back. Yes, <laughs> I am good to go. <laughs> we are back. Yay. With another episode. That's right. Um, I know we normally dive in, but um, quick announcement, subtle flux, humble brag. One of us is going to do it, so... <laughs> I finished my master's program. So exciting. I know. So we took last week off because I was finishing my capstone, which is basically like your big senior project for your program. Um, It was crazy intense. It was like the biggest project I've ever done in my entire life. And um, I thought it was due on the 10th. It was not. It was due like I had to get it done by the 7th. So I lost like three days. Dang. <laughs> and it was stressful, but it is done now. I did it. And I graduated. I know. <gasps> Look at that smile. I'm Beard so excited. Your smile. I'm That's so, so excited. exciting. Education is always a good idea. Yes. Yes. It's good not choice. for everyone, but it is always a good idea if it is for you. Yeah. Yes. Make good choices. Make good choices. Yeah. And with that, I'll just dive right in. Okay, cool. Okay. My plan is, now that I have, like, all this free time, at some <laughs> point, I will start doing more in-depth cases, um, but this cool. was, like, my first my first story that I yeah. got to do after everything, so I'm like, all right, give me one that's, like, not you that just intense. just came out from under the it's water. Not, yeah, not, yeah. like, a three-parter or something like that. No. I'm excited. I don't even know what you're doing. So I'm going to tell you the story of the murder of Phil Hartman. Now, no bells. for you, you will recognize him as one of the voices off The Simpsons. Oh. Um, he played Troy McClure. Oh, okay. Off of The Simpsons. Yeah. Um, for me, I know him as Ted from Jingle All the Way. Oh. <laughs> he so was... Throwing it way back. Yeah, he was the... Um, <laughs> He played Ted, the neighbor that was really interested in Arnold Schwarzenegger's wife. Mm-hmm. Um, and he came over and he was like, oh, these cookies are so amazing. And he was like eating cookies at Arnold Schwarzenegger's house. And he was like, stop eating my cookies. <laughs> like there's a whole scene. He plays, a lot of his characters are supposed to be like the villain, but comedy. Right. So. Like a fumbly idiot. Yeah. Villain. Right. Like yeah. not the best of intentions, but not outwardly evil. <laughs> Um, but I remember watching Jingle All the Way when I got older, and my mom was like, you know that guy was murdered, right? And I was like... <laughs> Go, Mom. Thanks, Vicky. <laughs> wow. Merry Christmas to me. Okay. Um, really ripped the rug right out of you, from under you. But yes, he was murdered, and that was my... I always, like, now I think of that every time I watch that movie. Um, so today we're going to be covering his murder. So... He was known for, like I said, roles on The Simpsons. Um, He was also on SNL for quite a long time. He was born in Brantford, Ontario, in Canada on September 24th, 1948. His family moved to the U.S. when he was 10. Um, Of the family, there was a total of eight kids. Big family. Yeah, he was number four. Um, Catholic family, large family. It's just part of the... It's part of what you sign up for. Um... (laughs) He said as a kid that he found it hard to find affection in his family, so he sought it elsewhere, um, which is totally understandable. If you're trying to split up your attention between all your kids and everything like that, that's just a challenge. That's a lot. Yeah. But, I mean, he was overall, like, he was an untroubled person. He went to school. um, The first time he went to college, he dropped out to become a roadie. 
but he went back to college. And he graduated from Cal State University with a degree in graphic arts. And he began designing album covers for bands, oh, which I was like, super <laughs> cool. like a great job. Um, Can't find that on Indeed. No. God. <laughs> for real, though. <laughs> Um, I didn't even like think of that, like that graphic designers would be needed for that kind of thing. But yeah, uh, so that's what he did. He also appeared on the dating game show, which we all know from oh. our Rodney Alcala episode. Um, Interesting. And the alumni. Yeah. He was not a creepy murderer, though. Yeah. <laughs> he won, actually. But then the woman missed the date and they just never reconnected. So it was like missed opportunity. But he was on the show. Oh, so he was one of the bachelors. Yes. Gotcha. Yep. Okay. And then in 1975, he joined a comedy group called The Groundlings. Um, He had actually gone to perform, or I'm sorry, he had gone to see them perform, and then he just impulsively climbed on stage and kind of, like, joined their act. I don't know if they, like, tried to, like, coax it. Like, they were doing, like, that whole play off the audience or whatever. But he jumped at the opportunity, got on stage, and just nailed it. And they were, like, he just had a really natural ability, like, in a very sophisticated comedy type. And so they really, really liked him, and he joined the group after that. Um, he's also noted to be one of the engineers behind the character of Pee Wee Herman. So oh. Pee Wee Herman was developed and coined by Paul Rubens, but he credits Phil Hartman for being kind of like his his partner in developing that character. And he appeared on um, several of the show's featuring Pee Wee Herman as, like, an extra character. But really, like, was an ear in um, Paul Rubin's... Or, I'm sorry, was a mouth in Paul Rubin's ear developing that character. Then he joined SNL in 1986, and he stayed for eight seasons. He was really known for his impressions, particularly of Bill Clinton. Nailed. This is crazy to me. Nailed Bill Clinton. Holy moly. They tried to get him to wear, like, a prosthetic nose because his nose is shaped completely different than Bill Clinton's. And he said no because he felt like it was distracting. So he would, like, use makeup to, like, highlight his nose. um, And then, like, dyed his hair and, like, eyebrows and everything like that. And, oh, my gosh, I looked at – or I was watching some of the comedy sketches of him as Bill Clinton. And it's just, like, (laughs) he does it to a T – And uh, when he met Bill Clinton later on, he was like, oh, I guess I have some apologizing to do. And Bill Clinton actually found him really entertaining. In fact, he autographed something for him and was like, even though you're not the president, you played one. It was okay sometimes or whatever. And had like a good, like they had a good understanding between them. That it wasn't vicious or anything. Yeah, that it was all in good fun. He did win an Emmy for his time on the show. And like I said, he was there for eight seasons. He um, was nicknamed by Adam Sandler as the glue, or called glue, mm-hmm. um, because he was credited for really holding the show and the cast together. He was kind of a... He was always willing to help everybody. He didn't need to be the star. He was very much like a supporting member. If you need help with your act, if you need yeah. help with your skit, I'm here to help you. He really wanted to like encourage everybody to bring their best to the set. So Adam Sandler coined him that name because he really felt like he was the one that kept everybody together, together and moving as yeah. a group. So he lit up a room? Yeah. <laughs> one yeah. could say. Yeah. One okay. could say. <laughs> Nobody, like, has anything negative to say about him. It's really interesting. He did leave SNL in 1994 because, like I said, he had a very sophisticated sense of humor. And he felt like with the introduction of 
Adam Sandler and Chris Farley and stuff like that, it became more of a, how do I say this without everybody getting upset with me? Um, a fraternity or? Um... No, he said that it was less sophisticated. They went for more, mm-hmm. um, I think of it kind of like it's an immature humor is kind of what I think sure. of it as. And it's not to be offensive, but it's like, it's kind of like the, it's more of crude humor, if you will. Right. Um, not something that requires like a backstory for you to understand the context right. or something. It's like a, but um you Yeah. Know. You're kind of going for the quick laughs and. The humor is different. Like, you know, you don't need a history. It's not historical yeah. context. It's not something that you would have need to be up on right. current events. It's something that's. Maybe Phil more Hart- relatable to everyone, but... Right. And Phil Hartman had, like, he really liked to develop the story and mm-hmm. the character and stuff like that. And Adam yeah. Sandler was like, how can I say this funny? Or how can I do something that's kind of, like, immature or stupid or like something like that? Laugh. And get a quick laugh. Yeah, right. exactly. It's quick just laugh. two different comedy styles. Right. And so it wasn't really fitting him anymore. And so at that point, he did actually exit SNL. Not bad blood or anything. It was just different creative styles. If you tell me Adam Sandler killed him. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> no, absolutely not. Um, but it does go to show you that they did have a good relationship because Adam Sandler, like I said, he was the one that coined that nickname and he felt yeah. very strongly about Phil Hartman. And I think that that was reciprocated. It was just a creative difference. Wow. Yeah. So no bad blood there. No tea, if you will. Right. <laughs> so after that, he did start, <laughs> he started on sitcoms like news radio. He voiced characters on The Simpsons. He had roles in House Guest, Sergeant Bicko, I think is how it's pronounced, B-I-K-O. It's not a movie I'm familiar with. Um, Jingle All the Way, like I said, a movie called Small Soldiers. He was on 52 episodes of The Simpsons, and he played characters like Lionel Hutz, Troy McClure, Duffman... Um, none of this is ringing a bell for me, but I never watched The Simpsons. I wasn't allowed to watch it growing up. I had no idea that all, that he was in all these other things. I don't know much about the characters other than Nancy Cartwright, who voices a lot of like Bart and other kids. But, um, so yeah, if you remember Troy McClure, you might remember him from all this other film. Well, then I saw, um, that's a nod to The Simpsons. Like if you... (laughs) Hi, I'm Troy McClure. You might remember me from. That's something that he oh, okay. that his character said Got all it. the time. <laughs> right over my head. Um, he was also on The Little Toaster. I don't know if you ever saw that movie. I never up. saw that. He played both the air conditioner and the lamp that had more of like a, he it was, the lamp was a skeezy character. It was the overhead lamp, not the table lamp. It was the overhead one, to you be specific. You sound crazy to me right now, yeah. but okay. <laughs> They're very, two very different characters. Um and the ability to, like, to know that, like, some of these characters were in the same scene and you would have never known it was the same guy. Mm-hmm. That he had, That's like... talent. Yeah, he had very distinct yeah. voices for all of these different characters. And I listened to a clip from um, The Simpsons and I didn't recognize his voice as him. Oh, weird. Which he has kind of a distinct voice. Mm-hmm. So he does a really good job in, like... Differentiating them. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. You can see why he would be known for, like, impressions and stuff like that. Like, if you know The Simpsons, like, Nancy Cartwright plays Bart. Uh-huh. And then she also plays Ralph Wiggum, which are two completely different characters. Yeah. And then, um, yeah, like you said, they're, if I didn't look into who it was that was playing them, I wouldn't have known. That right. was the same person. It's just an amazing talent. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. another thing um, that you not only can transcend characters, but transcend genders. And it's just crazy to me. Yeah. Um, quite a gift. So like I said, he often plays the 
comedic villain, um, but he was described as a really nice, low-key guy on set. He found the villains to be really funny and have, like, a really good opportunity to create them into what he was wanted them to be, but he was really described as, like, the team player rather than the star. He wasn't the star quarterback. He wasn't, you know, the guy leading the charge, but he was, mm-hmm. he was always, like, the best supporting actor, if you will. Right. Good wingman. Um, he did get married to a woman named Gretchen Lewis in 1970, but he divorced her. Well, I don't know if he divorced her, but they got divorced two years later. And then he married a woman named Lisa Strain in 1982, and they got divorced in 1985. Quick ones. Very quick. Lisa described him as kind of reclusive. He was often kind of like emotionally in his mm-hmm. own little world, kind of withdrawn from regular life, if you will. Okay. Um which is interesting because when she kind of described him as that, it, like, sent off little alarm bells in my head, like Robin Williams, where he was described. Mm. Phil Hartman was also described the same way as Robin Williams, where they're always in character, always in character, always in character, never broke character. And I remember when Robin Williams died, somebody talked about him always in character, always in character, and looking at him and going, wow, I wonder what happens when he no longer has an audience. That's hard. Yeah. And I remember, like feeling like almost like the wind came out of me when I heard somebody say that about him. And I was like, what do you do if that is your whole life? And then at some point you have to go home and there's nobody to perform for. Right. And then that's not to say that he was depressed because I don't know that. Um, There's nothing to me that has said that he was depressed. Like Robin Williams, we now know, struggled with severe depression. But his demeanor changed. Yeah. he He wasn't a comic in his everyday life. It was his job, but that wasn't who he was. Hmm. That's very interesting. Yeah. Which might explain, like, the quick marriages and things like that, but I don't know for a fact. Him and his second wife did stay in contact, and they were friends. But in 1987, still kind of struggling with the divorce and feeling kind of vulnerable and everything like that, he did meet and marry a woman named Bryn Omdahl. She was actually born as Vicky Joe. She changed her name to Bryn. I don't know why. Um, She was a former model, aspiring actress. I don't know if she just thought the name Bryn was better for the industry or something. Like a professional name. Yeah, Yeah, more interesting. I don't know. I don't know what she had against the name Vicky, but it's fine. (laughs) It's fine. Probably like a one-syllable type thing. Yeah, probably. They had met on a blind date, and they did end up getting married. They They had two kids son named Sean, and a daughter named Bergen. Their marriage was described as troubled. Friends reported that Bryn struggled with anger, and she often got attention by acting out. She was really jealous of his success and frustrated by the lack of her own, and she was reportedly very both verbally and physically abusive. Oh, man. And at one point, she wrote Lisa, the second wife, a letter, Mm -hmm. because after they had their son... Lisa sent them, like, a congratulations card. It was oh, like, congratulations sure. on the birth of your son, blah, 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 because they were still friends and everything like that. And she, in response, wrote a letter to Lisa that basically said that she would rip her eyes out if she spoke oh, to her husband again. God. Yeah. Jesus. So she said that she had gotten death threats from her before, that, like, the rip your eyes out thing was really specific. Yeah, that um, is you think the first one would be like, hey, don't talk to my husband. But, like, the fourth or fifth one? Yeah, but go also, ahead and say I'm that. also, I'm just saying congratulations for having a baby. Like, relax. Jesus. Like, it's like, hey, congratulations on your baby. <sighs> and you're like, don't talk to me. <laughs> <laughs> 
It's not like she's threatening to take your child. Like, calm down. Good God. So, um, yeah, just, like, really erratic and, like, just, like, a ticking time bomb that just... Sounds like it. Yeah, exploded. Phil, at one point, considered retiring to actually save his marriage. He was absent a lot for work, and he would try and get her acting roles to, like, keep her engaged, but she struggled significantly with substance abuse of both alcohol and narcotics. Mm. So he was, like, kind of at the point where he was, like, maybe I need to take a step back from my career and focus on her and, like, keeping her, like, calm and, like, getting this together and stuff like that. Like, he did care very deeply for her. Like, he was obviously very much in love with her, but she was just very difficult. And Mm -hmm. when they met, they met when she was sober. And he was, like, Mm. cool, problem of the past. And it was not a problem of the past. So resurfaced yeah so i think he was like i need to take some time focus on her getting her sober things like that in the meantime he hadn't made that decision and he was still trying to help her find like a creative outlet and like give her the career that she wanted but she couldn't take advantage of the opportunity because of her substance abuse and then she was also in and out of rehab several times it was like she couldn't actually like work on anything right because she was couldn't commit to a contract so that was really difficult In the meantime, they're trying to raise these two kids in this, like, really volatile environment with her substance abuse. And so often he would have to take the kids and remove them from the house and have them go stay with friends and family because she was just, like I said, her outbursts were, yeah, the outbursts were really scary. My understanding is, like, not only was he, was she verbally and physically abusive towards him, but sometimes that had come out on the kids. And so he removed them from the house to like keep them safe. Right. But was also doing the thing of like the husband where it was like, remove the kids from the house. A few people knew what was going on, but like her family didn't know what was going on. Like her family had no idea. His friends and coworkers had no idea. He was really doing the part of trying to protect her and spare her image as much as possible. Literally just like trying to, Keep everybody safe, not lose his kids. Yeah. yeah. Not lose your kids, but like not you need to do what's right for your kids. It's just ugh, so so much going on. Right. Lots of struggles of at one point during all of this, he had he had maintained a really good relationship with Jan Hooks, who was also on SNL. And I would kind of describe her as like his work wife, if you sure. will. We all know him. We all have him. Don't we pretend like you him. don't. Don't pretend like you don't. Bryn had one point, like, joked, like, they're married on some level, so she knew it. Yeah. But Bryn was joked about it, but she didn't really like it. So she, um, at one point, (laughs) wrote, like, really threatening letters to Jan and was basically telling her to stay away, blah, blah, blah. Goodness gracious. Thankfully, those letters were never sent, but they were found in her belongings later on. So the feelings were there. The feelings were there, yeah. So that had not improved over time. At one point, she, like, they're living in this big multi-million dollar house or whatever, but he's gone a lot for work. And so she starts telling friends and family that she doesn't really feel safe in the house by herself. So she did buy two firearms. My understanding is that Phil Um. also had firearms in the house, although I don't know to what extent. Okay. Uh, but they did both own guns, and she was insistent that, like, she needed them for her protection. Her family didn't think that was a great idea. Um, if you are somebody that struggles with severe substance abuse, <laughs> right. weapons aren't a good idea. I'm no. just going to put it out there. Not, not a good idea. And so she did have those in the home, 
but on May 27th of 1998, she had gone to an Italian restaurant in Encino, California. And when she got home, supposedly at the restaurant, everything was fine. They said she was in a good mood. Like She was by herself? She was with a friend. It okay. was a, a friend that was Phil. like... No, no, no. Not, not with Phil. him. Okay. But she was in a good mood. They said she... They felt like she was in a really good headspace and everything like that. But when she got home, her and Phil got into a fight because she had, under the influence, lashed out and hit their daughter. And he... Wait, she had hit. She had. Okay. Yes. He is the non-aggressor, which... Okay. I think it's important to note in this case because our mind immediately always goes to the man. This is a role, uh, this is a situation where it's textbook. It is textbook. Mm -hmm. Like you have somebody that's verbally abusive, physically abusive, struggles with substance abuse, firearms in the home. Everything is about to go significantly wrong, but the roles are reversed. And it's the woman. All the flags are there for domestic violence. Exactly. Mm -hmm. But it's the woman who is the aggressor and not the man. Which is something I've never really... It's very uncommon. It's very uncommon. Mm-hmm. I'm sure it exists. I shouldn't say never. But no, very rarely to the point where yeah. if you asked me to pull it out of my brain, I couldn't. Right. I will. It's Troy McClure. I'll know. <laughs> <laughs> okay, fine. You have yeah. a better memory today. Good for you. <laughs> so... <laughs> you today. It's true, though. <laughs> Good for you. <laughs> Thanks a lot. Oh, whatever. Um, (laughs) So, yeah, so they had gotten into a fight because he's still pissed about this. It had happened very recently. And he basically said, like, if you don't get sober, if you don't pull it together, I'm leaving. And if you ever touch those kids again, I'm leaving. Like, he, it was ultimatum time. Right. He was like, I've had enough. You're not going to hurt my kids. It's one thing when it's me, but it's another thing when it's them and you need to get it together. And she was... Very angry about this. He had this habit of when they would get into a fight and she would just, like, kind of blow, he would just go to bed and pretend to be asleep. He would? Yeah, because he was just over-dealing with it. So he would go to bed and pretend to be asleep so she would leave him alone. A 100% textbook DV. The thing that's a little bit different, though, is that if a woman goes to bed to try and ignore a fight, the man will... It escalates. Well, the man will very often wake her up. Oh, as yeah, part of like a form of, yeah, a, yeah. a form of abuse that I've come to later understand is that um, sleep deprivation. Weird. A form of abuse? Yeah, where you're intentionally keeping somebody awake to continue a conversation, to continue a fight, to like. Because you're not done? That's really interesting. Yeah, I didn't realize that that was such a. Like a prevalent type of abuse. Yeah. It is a prevalent type of abuse. It was something that I read about from the case of Shia LaBeouf, that this was often a strategy that he used with his girlfriend. He was accused oh. of abusing his girlfriend. And she said sleep deprivation was one of the tools that he'd use where he would literally keep her up for hours on hours, continuing these fights days upon days where she wasn't getting any sleep. And it was like started to like mess with her psyche. Because oh, he bet. was just like... And he's aggressive and dangerous and stuff like that. And you're, like, it's in the middle of the night and you're continually being woken up by this. And it leaves you with, like, this really, like, compromised sense of security. Um, and Not only that, the- but physically, your body goes yeah. through so much when it doesn't rest. Exactly. And you're woke, when you're awake for so long or yeah. just not getting enough rest. Like, I've, I remember very distinctly, there's been a couple times in my life where I've been up for 
I would say close to 30, 30 some hours, yeah. you know, school papers, etc. Bars. And <laughs> I mean, <laughs> the bar was named school and no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, and you're like, at least for me, I start getting jittery. Yeah. Like, and my brain starts drifting like yeah. into drunken mode. That's why you shouldn't be driving also when you're awake for so long. And right. there's regulations on people driving for so many hours at a time. But yeah, sleep deprivation, although I didn't know that, I can totally see how mm-hmm. it's a form of abuse. When I read Holy about shit. it, I was yeah. like, it was like such a light bulb moment for me. And I was like, oh, you recognize mm-hmm. it where it's coming to play in your own life. And it's like, holy crap, like that's what was going on. Like, yeah. It's weird to say better late than never, but better late than never. Yeah, yeah. 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 And I think once you can recognize it for what it is, then you become more aware of it if it ever comes up again. Right. Um, that is not what happened in this case, though. So I digress <laughs> <laughs> because <laughs> it is the this is very often behavior of men. This is a woman aggressor, uh, female aggressor. So she, he went to sleep and was sleeping in bed. Had actually fallen asleep at this point um, when she entered the room around 3 a.m. in the morning and she shot him once between the eyes, Whoa. once in the throat, and once in the chest with a 38 caliber handgun as he was sleeping. He was only 49 years old at the time. Oh, my goodness. Bryn then left the house with his body and her two kids, still inside the house. She left the house. She drove to her friend Ron Douglas's house, who they had been friends for a really long time. And it's like four in the morning or something like that. 3.30, four in the morning. Wow. And she goes to his house and she tells him everything that happened. And he doesn't believe her. And I'm like, what? what? Do you, why do you think she showed up at your house at three or four in the morning? Like, just like, hey, here. But... He said she was so explosive with her temper and everything like that that he chalked it up to her attention-seeking again. Because oh. he said she would very often pop off just for the attention. <laughs> so he was like, okay. That's awful. Yeah, I'm like, who lies like that for attention? But okay. And so he says Oof. he doesn't believe her, but he agrees to drive back to her house with her. They go in separate cars, thank God. Okay. And... He, in the meantime, like, as they're driving, she calls another friend and confesses again to this friend. Yeah. And tells the At friend what's happened. four o'clock in the morning. Yeah, again, all these people that just answer their phones. And when they enter the house, her and her friend Ron Douglas... Um, Ron sees the body and he immediately calls 911. And at this point, it's 6.20 in the morning. So a oh, lot of time shit. has passed. The police show up and they're carrying the kids out of their house. But in the meantime, Bryn has barricaded herself in the bedroom. And as the police officer is carrying their daughter, who at the time is six years old and her son is nine, uh-huh. the son has left the house and her daughter is being carried out at six years old, a gunshot goes off. <gasps> and Bryn has committed suicide by gunshot as her kids are being escorted out of the house. Oh my God. Um, An autopsy revealed that she had Zoloft, had been drinking alcohol, and had cocaine in her system at the time of the incident. Her brother, interestingly enough, her brother filed a lawsuit against Pfizer, who manufactures Zoloft, against the family psychiatrist who had given samples of the antidepressant to her. I don't know, like, where they won on that lawsuit and everything like that, but kind of chalked it off to Zoloft, which I'm kind of, I don't, like, I don't know a lot about that, but, like, it's an antidepressant. There's been a couple murders um, that have been associated with medications 
for you know what i might have to look into that because that would be interesting yeah but it also makes me go like my guess is that you don't give somebody a medication like that and say if you mix this with alcohol and cocaine, it's probably going to do really good wonders for you. Like, there's probably, like, a rule about that. Absolutely. What's interesting, though, is, like, after after they died, John Lovitz, who was a friend of Phil Hartman's, accused Andy Dick, who we're all, I think, a lot uh-huh. of us are familiar with, um, for reintroducing Brenda cocaine. He said that it was his fault that she relapsed and it caused her to have a nervous breakdown. Andy Dick denied it, said that he knew nothing about her condition. Like, was basically said, no, I'm not responsible. That's a great line. But then Andy Dick approached John at a restaurant after that whole accusation came out and said that he put the Phil Hartman hex on him and John would be next to die. The fuck? And so John had Andy kicked out of the restaurant. Right. And then they met up like a year later at the Laugh Factory and they got into an altercation and John slammed Andy's head into the bar and they got into like a big fight. (laughs) So like John's adamant that like this is Andy's fault basically. And that he's... He blames it on him. Yeah, totally. Like for taking his friend from him. They've been close for years. Wow. Um, That's just like a little side note. But Bryn's sister and her husband took custody of the kids um, Phil Hartman did have a will in place when he died, and he left an inheritance to his kids to be distributed when they were 25 years old. Altogether, he was worth and left behind $1.23 million. Okay. So they were pretty much set. And of all the shows that he was currently working on at the time, when news broke of him, of what had happened, they stopped rehearsals and recordings for the day. Wow. They didn't... Simpsons shut down, news radio shut down, they were all shut down for the day. Whether he was going to be on it or not, they just shut down. Yeah, they shut down. Um, And rather than replace his characters, all the different shows retired his characters. So the Simpsons retired all of his characters at that point. Um, And his character on news radio had a heart attack on the show. And so the next episode was them all reminiscing about the character that he played or whatever. Uh, so he was not, he was one of the people that they felt like he's just not replaceable. He's not replaceable. Yeah. So they opted to retire. Oh, that makes me so sad. I know. But I'm also glad that like he was recognized for the talent he was and knew that he wasn't right. a replaceable person. So he was inducted into the Canada Walk of Fame on September 22nd, 2012. In June of 2013, he received a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. And in 2015, Rolling Stone named him number seven of SNL's greatest cast members. And they ranked 141 of the cast members. He came in at number seven. Oh, that's crazy. And that is the story of the murder of Phil Hartman. That chills. Just the fact that his characters were so respected, too. And it's... I think it's a really good... Speaks to his work, you know? Speaks to his work, speaks to his character. And it shows you that... Every person plays a role, like plays a role on a team. And he didn't need to be the brightest shining star. He didn't need to be the frontman. He was still recognized for the greatness he was in the role that he played. And it, right. like I said, he was very often like best supporting actor or whatever, but he did that so well that people just loved him and how important those types of people are in our lives or in, you know, mm-hmm. organizations and whatever you're doing. Like there always has to be somebody that may become second fiddle, but you can still be the best at that. That, um, I, I had no idea. I yeah. had no idea about that. So that's very interesting. 
Yeah. Oh, I'm going to see The Simpsons differently now. I know. Now every time you see that character, you're going to be like, mm. If you haven't done so already, we'd love a review on iTunes Podcasts so that other listeners who like true crime just like you can find us and be listeners along with you. Also, if you haven't done so already, we'd appreciate you your support on our Patreon page, and you can find us on patreon.com, which is P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com forward slash stranger danger podcast. True crime tea time. True crime tea time. So, it's not so much tea time, but I just want to see if you guys have uh, heard of this. Uh, I saw this... I saw this come up in uh, my news story the other day. Like, actual news. That a Florida mom, 21 years old, was on a work Zoom call. Have you heard this? I don't know, but it sounds like a what the Florida. Uh, It is. So, what the Florida? You guys have been asking. Here we go. Yep. So, 21-year-old mom... In Florida, she's in her house doing a work Zoom call. Well, suddenly everyone that's on the Zoom call hears a loud bang and the mom falls to the floor in front of the Zoom call. And as she falls, all they see is a little toddler behind her holding a gun. (gasps) Oh my God. Yeah. He found the gun. It was not secured. And he... I'm assuming, well, accidentally shot his mom while she was on a live Zoom call for work. So her co-workers called the police. So, like, straight out of horror movie. Oh, my gosh. She drops and all they see is this little toddler holding a gun. And the, I don't know how old he is, but toddler, I'm thinking anywhere from three to six, three uh, to five. Toddler would Two be, to like, five. one to three. Oh, Okay. Oh, God, that's even smaller. Yeah, my guess is he's around two years old. This happened in Altamonte Springs. Did she die? Oh, yeah. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, she died. Holy moly. She was DOA when the cops got there. Um, The DA is tossing around the idea of charging the gun owner, like the registered gun owner, with, like, negligence of, like, keeping a firearm. Yeah. Yeah. But could you imagine being on a... Holy moly, and that kid growing up. Oh, my God. This is going to be a lot of long-term... I understand some people need to pay prices, but at the same time, I'm like, this kid is going to lose his mom because of his actions, and now he's going to lose his dad because his dad will likely go to prison, if that's the case. Right. And, ugh. And the the trauma for the people that saw it. Yeah. I wonder if that's, like, it's probably grounds to get some time off of work. I'm sure. Yeah. I'm sure they probably brought in counseling and stuff like that. Holy yeah. moly. I can't even imagine. Yeah. So this happened in Altamonte Altamonte Springs, Florida. It's a combination of English and Spanish, so I don't know which way my accent wants to go. <laughs> Try to decide. Altamonte? Altamonte? Springs, Florida. I think it's yeah, Altamonte. super sad. It just, just happened last week, so. Holy moly. Um, yeah, that's... Ugh. God, I couldn't imagine. I was like, holy moly, can you imagine? Like, all you hear is a bang, because that's all they heard. They didn't, like, see gunshot wound or anything. But then you just see this toddler in the background, like, straight out of a horror movie. Yeah. Yeah. Just holding a gun. Um, Oh, gosh. And then the next thing that I wanted to talk about, this is really weird, but I'm glad you mentioned it in um, Phil Hartman's episode or case. 
that um, he had a will. Did you know August is Make-A-Will Month? So now, there you go. Here's your reminder. Um, <laughs> okay, well, that took a turn. Make-A-Will. <laughs> There's free forums online. Um, it's, it's, it's a weird thing to say, but in the true crime world, if you want your monies to go the right way or your assets to go the right way, if you were to meet a untimely demise... This got really weird. Just now that August is Make-A-Will Month, Listen, so... Mom, you get everything. If Here Mom and I go out together, the boys. Jordan, McGregor, you get everything. It's on recording, <laughs> Split right? It. It's yeah. on recording, yeah. Navy um, is supposed to go to McGregor, but I'm thinking more and more he'll have to go to Jordan because McGregor works too many hours as a nurse. Um, so, Jordan, yeah. you might be up. <laughs> so this is all on recording. This can count. I can give it to a judge and be like, here you go. Oh. This is Mackenzie's will. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks for taking care of that. Um, that's it. I think that's all I've got for today. Oh, other than, well, Friday the 13th just happened. Um, and I watched Carrie for the first time. Oh, really? You've never seen ever. that? The original? The original. I paid for it. It's a great YouTube. movie. You think so? I think it was great for its time. Uh, see, I think you have to think of it for with. its time. And that's what I struggled with because it's, obviously it's very, um... I think they did a really good job in what I really, really appreciated about it is they did a great job in capturing the relationship between the mom and the daughter. Mm. Like that was a very weird relationship. Yeah. It made you very uncomfortable, super uneasy. It was like, it reminded me almost of a DD. Um, and, and Rose gypsy Rose. Yeah. Gypsy Rose. Just like that weird, um, mom wants to be controlling of every single yeah. aspect, abusive relationship. Um, it sounds, well, Carrie's mom was like super religious, but, um, I would say fanatic to some extent. Oh yeah. Yeah. She was an extremist. Um, but yeah, first time I saw it, I told Carrie, I was like, you know what? As much as I say, I like scary movies and horror movies. I, I need to watch these old type movies yeah. there, and there is newer ones right but i was like nope i'm gonna go for the original you have to go for the original and then i can watch the old one the, the newer ones to see you know what differences were made but um i found myself laughing a lot yeah because a lot of it is really corny the blood does not look real <laughs> not only that but i am just um i'm really a, such a nitpicker for inconsistencies or for continuity yeah. issues I, I can spot continuity issues like a hawk. Yeah. So for me, when the scene, when the, when the blood is first dropped on her, yeah. it's in a very specific pattern. I can see where it's at. And then the oh, next yeah. shot she's drenched. And then the next shot she's drenched even more. And I was like, there wasn't more blood falling on her. Like these continuity yeah. issues are just like, oh, they take me out of it. Um, but it was a good movie. I, you know, I talked to Kim about it. Of course, she's probably the biggest Stephen King fan. Yeah. She's read every single book like twice over. It was their generation's true crime. Right. And so she's, you know, she of course just, she's a purist and she said that the book is of course better than, of course, than the movie. So I might have to go back and and read the book on it, but it's the the movie, man, if you love Carrie, I'm sorry. (laughs) It took me out of it a little bit, but the actress did really good of like that, of drawing you in into mm-hmm. her own like Psyche. weird world. Yeah. yeah. Okay, that's it. I watched Carrie for the first time. Confession. That's it. That's all I've got. Okay. <laughs>
Alrighty. Cool. Anything else? I think we're good. Cool. All right, guys. Have a good day. Bye. Bye. <laughs> Bryn then left the house with his body and her two kids. Wait, with his body? Yeah, his body's still in the house with the two kids. And she leaves. Oh, okay. I thought you said she left with his body. Oh, no, no. Sorry. She okay. left the house. <laughs> sorry. I hadn't finished my sentence. She left the house with his body and two kids still inside the house. Gotcha. Sorry. Oh, sorry. <laughs> no, thank you. Thank you. That is a matter of punctuation and finishing your sentence. <laughs> All things that I should know from my master's. <laughs> That is that. College education at work. Was that an Oxford comma? Or was that... What do, what do we need there? Some type of comma that I have no idea what it is. Normalize the Oxford comma. <laughs> and also double, don't double space after you punctuate. I don't agree with that. I know you don't. It's fine. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> um, anyway... So he was born in Brantford, Ontario, Canada. Canada. <laughs> wow. He was born in. This will be put on the back end on the bloopers. Good God. Canada. Canada. <laughs> I'm sorry. For all my Canadian I'm not, friends. I'm not. That is gold. Canada. Canada. And I said it with such conviction, oh, too. Yeah, you're like, oh, he's from Ontario, Canada. Canada. Absolutely. Yes. Got it. Nailed it. Okay. Take 25. All right. He was born in Brantford, Ontario, in Canada. That's what I was trying to say, in Canada. <laughs> I'm like, Canada? Yeah, I know you were trying to say Canada. <laughs> okay. You decide which one of these takes you want to use. Yep. <clears throat>